Good morning. Boker Tov, welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. So glad and grateful to be learning together once again to resume our study of the Parsha. And so grateful to our generous sponsors of the Parsha series for the year, Becky and Avi Katz and family, in loving memory of David Grossman, Becky's father, Le'iloi Nishmas, David Ben Menachem Manish. Thank you so much to the Katzes for their sponsorship of the series. If you'd like to sponsor a particular sheer, particular episode of Parsha Perspectives, please email lee at brsonline.org, lee at brsonline.org. We have the privilege this morning of studying together Parshas Shmini, page 588 in the Art Scroll Stone, Chumash. Vayihi bayom ha-shmini karam Moshe li-aronu levanav Yisrael. It was on the eighth day that Moshe called to Aaron and his sons and lezikne Yisrael. The eighth day from what? So Rashi quickly jumps in and Rashi tells us, it was the eighth day of the Miluim. It was the eighth day of the um, inauguration service, which was, which coincided with Rosh Chodesh Nisan. This was when the Mishkan was first inaugurated, when it was first celebrated. Comes along, we'll jump in with our first Eshtamit, our first Rav Druk of the day. Says... The Vayikra Rabbah, an amazing Medrash. Listen to this Medrash. Says the Medrash Vayikra Rabbah. Why are the Jewish people compared to a bird? Because just like a bird can't get lift, a bird can't take off, a bird cannot fly without its wings. Similarly, the Jewish people cannot achieve anything. We cannot fly, we cannot get lift without our elders. In this Medrash, Rabbi Akiva compares the metaphor of the Jewish people, the elders, the Zakanim, the empty nesters, the elders of the community are compared to the wings of a bird. Says Rav Druk, what is this comparison? Of all the metaphors you can give of the significance, of the importance, of the role of the Zakanim, of the elders, what is the significance of comparing them to wings? And why specifically the wings of a bird? Says Rav Druk, I'm going to offer three explanations, three commentaries or options of what it means. Number one, Rashis. Yesh Lomar. Habir Bezeh. If a bird has an injured wing, a bird has a clipped wing, if a bird is born without a wing, the bird can live. The bird will not die. But the bird cannot fly. The bird cannot elevate. So a bird who's limited, a bird who's grounded, a bird who remains on the floor is not going to survive because a bird is born to fly. That's how the bird operates, that's how the bird lives, that's how the bird uh, elevates, that's how the bird accesses food. Similarly, the Jewish people, without our elders, Without our Tamid without our righteous leaders, you'll say we could survive. We're alive. We could live even without them. 
of all ha-emesi, but the truth is, says Rav Druk, even though it appears the illusion that we can survive, that we have life, even without these elders, to fly, to elevate, to lift off. So as opposed to a religion who says that we are all in and exclusively invested on the youth and the future and the tomorrow, we know that the root and the source of our strength, the ability to fly, is a focus and an emphasis on our zakenim. We cannot live exclusively in the tomorrow. We have to remember the yesterday and the today, represented by the zakenim. So without the zakenim, without the elders, we have a dire threat. That we may not survive, just like a bird without wings lives in the here and now, but doesn't have a long-term survival. So the significance and the role of the zakenim, don't write them off. Don't ignore. There's so much to learn, so much to gain. There's so much to live. There's so much lift. They elevate us, and we cannot elevate without the presence, without the participation, without the leadership, without the contribution of the zakenim. All of that's number one. Od Yeshlomar. Number two says Rav Druk. What is the comparison between the Zakanim, our righteous elders, and the wings of a bird? I love this second interpretation. When a bird is on the ground, what happens? All the bird has is a ground eye view. All the bird can see is the finite, very limited perspective of what appears right before the bird when they are on the ground. When a bird uses the wings to lift from the ground, the higher the bird ascends, the higher the bird climbs, the broader and the further and the farther the bird can see. Today it's common to have drones. You go to an outdoor chuppah, you go to an outdoor concert, you go to an event, you see a drone in the air. The photographers don't want to be limited from the picture they take on the ground. The higher the drone flies, the further it can see, the broader, the bigger the scope of what it can take in, the more of an encompassing vision it has. So when we are limited, when we're on the ground, when we're relying only on our life experiences and our age, all we can see is what's right in front of us. But when we rely on, when we lean on the zakenim, the elders who have a long life experience, who've persevered, who've lived with faith and fortitude. When we ride their coattails, we have lift. We have a much broader perspective. We can see so much further, and we can see so much farther. The righteous, they are at a higher level. And the higher they are, the further that they can see. You know, if you're on the ground, and you're trying to see traffic, all you can see is what's right in front of you. But if you're taller than the building on the corner, then you can see the car that's speeding around the corner and you can safely get out of its way. So the higher you are, 
the more you can see. The more you can see, the better prepared, the safer you are, the more you can plan, the more vision you have. Says Rav Druk, comparison number two, understanding number two of the Medrash's comparison between the Zikanan and the wings of the bird are the ability to fly. Number one, can you get lift? Can you get off the ground? Do we fly? And number two is, what is the uh, capacity of our perspective? Number three, Amru Chazal, Amru Amemar, the Gemara Baba Basra, Daf Yedbez, Chacham Adif Minavi. Who is greater? The Navi, the prophet, or the Chacham, the wise individual? Shnemar Vanavi Levav Chachma, Pasuk and Telem, Minit Lebemi, Haviomer, Katnit Lebegadol. Lachora Enamuvan, Mawa Bir, Bezesha, Chacham Adif Minavi. Hello, Navi Mekavos, Varashem Bofen Yashir. The Navi, the prophet, is receiving the word of God directly. The Chacham is learning the word of God and has to extrapolate and interpret and apply. So why is the Chacham Adif Minavi? You'd think the Navi should be greater than the Chacham. How could it be? So the Maharal, in the beginning of a Sefer Gvuras Hashem, the Maharal explains, the Navi, the prophet, perceives prophecy as an external sense. They pick up on and they perceive the prophecy, but remains external. But the Chacham, the Chacham is using their brain, their intellect, is applying their heart. The Chacham is absorbing and studying. So the, the Navi is limited by their sense of prophecy and by what they perceive and pick up on externally. But the Chacham, the wise person, who is using their own faculties, is able to see further, is able to see more, is able to see greater. So that's all part of the second interpretation. Now the third. The third and final interpretation. Why are the Zikne Yisrael compared to the wings of a bird? Why not to the bird itself? Why not to the Zikanim are like the bird? Why the wings, which are an appendage, which are a limb of the bird? And the answer is, The wings protect the bird. The bird uses the wing to fend off the enemy. The wing allows the bird to lift and take off and climb and rise above those who threaten her. So who is our strength? Don't think that the person with the wheelchair or the walker, the one who is older or infirm, not to suggest that all older people need those things, but don't assume or conclude that the one who looks like they're a little slower, who looks like they're more debilitated or infirm, don't think that they're weak and we protect them. They are protecting us. Their merits, their life, their amuna. They are the ones protecting us. And just like the wing protects the bird, so too does the Zikanim protect us. So again, the Medrash, at the beginning of our Pasha, Ashmini, Moshe called Aaron and Bonav and Zikne Yisrael. He's calling Aaron, I understand, it's his brother, his partner, the high priest. Bonav, I understand, the continuity, the next generation, the successors. Zikne Yisrael is yesterday. Zikne Yisrael is so yesterday. Why is he summoning the Zikne Yisrael? What room is there for the elders? That's what Rabbi Akiva said. Zikne Yisrael? Are you kidding me? They're the most essential. They're the most important. They are like the wings of a bird. They give us lift. They enable us to fly. They give us perspective. They enable us to have a, a broad vision. And they protect us. They fend off and ward off 
the things that threaten us. I think this insight is particularly significant, Parsha perspectives for today, the week in which Yom HaShoah occurs, because we honor the Holocaust survivors while we still can, please God, they should be well and among us for a long time. But the world they saw, they lived and they survived, the faith they live with, what they represent and they teach us, the honor that we must show and the opportunity to learn from them, that's the Zikne Yisrael. In every generation, we'll have our Zikne Yisrael. But while we yet have survivors with all they went through, those are a Zikne Yisrael. Those are, those are incredible, incredible wings that truly enable us to fly in the greatest way. Perktes Pasuk Vav, moving right along. So it was, again, Inauguration Day. It was the eighth day. And the priestly service begins. It was time for Aaron and his sons to begin their practice. And that's what Moshe tells Aaron. Kachucha Ego ben Bakar, bring a chatas, bring an ola, bring these sacrifices and the nitty-gritty and the details of the sacrifices. Pasuk Vav. Vayomer Moshe. Moshe says, Hashem ta'asu aleichem kevod Hashem. Moshe tells Aaron, this is the thing Hashem has commanded. Then the glory of Hashem will appear to you. So this is what you should do. Here are the details. Here are the rules. Here's what is expected of you. Here's how to begin your service. And then once you do, then, in that order, Vayera Aleichem Kevod Hashem. Says Rav Moshe of Koznitz. Says Rav Moshe of Koznitz. Zadavar Asher Tziva Hashem Ta'asu. Listen to his interpretation. He says, sometimes a Jew is living in life, a person is living through life, and they don't know, what am I meant to do? What is the right thing to do? We have a moral or ethical or halachic dilemma. I don't know what to do. So how should one resolve the suffix? How should one resolve the dilemma? What should one think? Says Rav Moshe of Koshnitz, When a person has a doubt, when a person has a dilemma, when a person is unsure and uncertain what to do, What is the right or righteous thing to do? Is what I'm doing noble or chas v'shalom, God forbid, the opposite? There's one barometer, there's one metric, there's one measure, there's one filter through which to interpret and to ask, is this the right thing to do? And you know what that is? Will this be marbek fod Hashem? Will this increase the honor to God? Imlav? Will this diminish God's honor? Will this diminish God's name in the world? Or will this add to God's name in the world? That's what we are created for. We are here to sanctify God's name. We are here to bring greater honor to God's vision for His world. So every time we're stuck, and every time we're unsure, and every time we ask ourselves, what should I do? What am I meant to do? What's right to do? Ask ourselves, what will bring greater kvod Hashem? Says Ramesh of Koshnitz, this is alluded to, this is hinted to in the Pasuk. How? It says, Zeha davar asher tziva Hashem ta'asu. Rak im nira shiyatsa mizek vod shamayim, v'yeira aleichem kvod Hashem. When v'yeira aleichem kvod Hashem, when you see this will increase the kvod Hashem, then you know, Zeha davar asher tziva Hashem ta'asu. Then you know this is what he wants you to do. How do you know what's right? V'yeira aleichem kvod Hashem. Will you see a greater kvod Hashem? Will you see an increase? Will you see an improvement? Will you see a greater honor to God? Then Zehadavar, then you know this is the thing he wants you to do. But if you won't, if that won't be the result, 
if it won't bring a greater quote Hashem, then it is not the thing he wants you to do. That is the barometer. That is the metric. That is the measure. That is how we know. So it's time for Aaron to begin the service. So Moshe turns to him and he tells us in Pasuk Tess, Pasuk Tess, Pasuk Zion, sorry, Pasuk Zion, Moshe says to Aaron, it's time. You ready? You ready? My brother, my big brother, Aaron, come. Come to the Mizbeach, come close to the altar. And it's time to begin your service. On these words, Krav Elamizbeach Vaasei comes along Rashi and tells us, Krav Elamizbeach Shehaya Aaron Bosh Viarela Geshes. Why does Moshe have to offer encouraging words? Why does Moshe have to draw Aaron close? Didn't Aaron want to come close? Didn't Aaron know to come close? Why did Moshe have to encourage and draw him close? So says Rashi, you know why? He was embarrassed. He was ashamed. Why are you ashamed? Why are you hesitating? Why are you resisting? You were chosen for this. You were made for this. My brother, what are you hesitating? What are you ashamed? What are you embarrassed? Why are you reluctant? Step up. It's time. This is why you were chosen. Says Rav Druk, Rashi. We've talked about this before. We shared insights, but let's see what Rav Druk says. It says, Aaron had both fear and and shame. But Moshe only addresses the shame. He says, "Why are you ashamed? This is why you were chosen." Moshe doesn't address at all the yira. Aaron was ashamed and afraid. So Moshe says, why are you ashamed? Come close. This is why you were chosen. What happened to the fear? Why does Moshe only address the shame? Why doesn't he address the fear? Says Rav Druk, you see from here something profound. You know why Moshe doesn't address it? Because he doesn't want to erase it. The fact that Aaron had a healthy sense of awe, the fact that Aaron had a healthy dose of fear, that was good. Moshe doesn't address it because Moshe doesn't want to relieve Aaron of it. Moshe's only concern is, why are you ashamed? Why are you embarrassed? You're, you're filled with awe? That's good. You should be filled with awe. You're about to enter the sanctuary. You're about to do the avoda. You're about to come incredibly close to God, the Almighty, the Creator. So awe, fear, that's good. Keep it, maintain it. Moshe only addresses the busha, the shame, because that is what is unhealthy. Shame is an unhealthy, unhealthy thought. Shame is an insecurity. Shame leads to self-sabotage. Shame leads to underachieving. Shame leads to self-hate. Shame is a negative, negative attribute. Things, shame is a very, very negative attribute. But awe, awe is something we strive for. Awe is something we aspire to. 
So Moshe says, my brother Yira? Good. Feel a little awe. But Busha? Why Busha? Lekach nevcharta, for this you were chosen. Number one. Number two. Bepashtos kavanas advarim, shal Moshe Rabbeinu omer la'aron madu atabosh. The simple understanding is he's telling him, why are you ashamed? God has tapped you. God has asked you to do it. So you were recruited. You were elected for the cabinet position. You were recruited. You were elected to be the president, the committee chair, the rabbi. So what are you ashamed? What are you embarrassed? If you were asked to do it, you were chosen. So get to work. Get to work. Why are you embarrassed or why are you ashamed? Why are you resistant? Why are you reluctant? This is why you were chosen. By the way, what was he embarrassed about? So the Medrash elaborates further. When Aaron approached the Mizbeach, what did he see? The way the Mizbeach, the altar, is constructed, there are karnos ha-Mizbeach. The Mizbeach has horns protruding from the corners. So if you're walking towards the Mizbeach and you see something with horns that come up, what does it look like? It looks exactly like a calf. It looks like an eagle with horns. What did Aaron think? He's approaching the Mizbeach. He's trained. He's prepared. He's purified. He's gotten ready. And it's opening day in the Mishkan. And he's about to throw out the first korban. But as he walks up to that Mizbeach and he sees those horns protruding, all of a sudden he recoils. And all of a sudden he says to himself, Whoa! I can't do this. I'm not qualified. I'm not adequate. After all, I participated in the Egel Azov. After all, I was part of the horrific mistake of the sin of the golden calf. And that's what Moshe tells him. No, no, no. Despite that, God chose you to do this. So don't hesitate. Don't be reluctant. Don't demure. For this, you were chosen. And that's the simple understanding. But says Rav Druk and many others, Ulam you can answer differently. Moshe Rabbeinu Omer La'aron. Moshe is telling Aaron, Lama ata bosh lekach nevcharta? Hainu davka mepnei habusha sheyesh becha lekach nevcharta. Not don't be ashamed or hesitant, you were chosen. Because you feel shame, because you hesitate, lekach nevcharta. Because you're modest and because you're humble, that's why you were chosen. The arrogant, egotistical, narcissistic person, the person who thinks they deserve, they're entitled, that is not the person we want. We want the person who says, I'm not qualified, I'm not adequate. No, lekach. Lekach means not lekach for the job of being the Kohen Gadol. Lekach meaning because atabosh, because you're hesitant. Lekach nivcharta. And this we see in a Gemara and Brachos, Tafyid Beis. There are two types of shame. When I mentioned shame is bad, then that's the shame we daven on the Erev Rosh Chodesh. The Shabbos will bench Rosh Chodesh and we say in the Hiratzon, we don't want a life of Chaim Shel Busha, Chlima. We're trying to avoid a life of shame. That's a negative shame. That's a shame which beats ourselves up and lowers us. It's an unhealthy shame. But there's also a very healthy sense of shame. The healthy shame is the shame I feel if I've done something wrong. If I don't feel ashamed, ashamed when I do something wrong, then I don't realize that there is something that needs to be fixed and repaired. That's what the Gemara Brachos says. If you make a mistake and you're ashamed of it, then you're forgiven. If you make a mistake and you're brazen, you're bold, you're proud, then you're not forgiven. 
But if you make a mistake and you're ashamed of the mistake, you've learned from it, you're ashamed, you know you're capable of more, of better, then you are forgiven. So that was the healthy shame, according to this interpretation, that Aaron felt. He had a healthy shame, lekach, because you have a healthy shame, nivcharta. That's why you were chosen. Because the person with the healthy shame is the one who is the one who grows. Okay, moving along. Turn the page. Tarektes pasuk chaf gimel. Vayeva Moshe v'Aaron al Moed. Opening day at the Mishkan. Moshe gives Aaron the instructions. Aaron hesitates. Moshe encourages. Kravalam isbech. Step up, step forward. You got this. And then the sacrifices, the korban, they're offered. Vayeva Moshe v'Aaron al Moed. Vayetzu. Pasuk tells us Moshe and Aaron came to the Old Moed and they went out and they blessed the people. What bracha did they give? Says Rashi, May God's presence dwell on the work of your hand. Rashi tells us that the whole seven days of the inauguration, Moshe assembled and disassembled the Mishkan. Hashem didn't dwell there yet. Moshe, lovely that you're assembling and disassembling. Lovely that you're doing a practice run. But we want to know we're forgiven. We want to know that we can move on. We want to know that God will dwell among us. So where's the Shekhinah? Follow what Hashem said, and then He will appear. Again, going back to Parshas Kisisa, this is what the Kuzari tells us. The Egel was, when we tried to do it on our own, the antidote to the Egel, where we have too much religious creativity, independence, individuality, innovation, the antidote is the building of the Mishkan. Here too, when Kvod Hashem, when will God be found, when does He dwell among us? After we uh, follow Kasher after we construct the way Hashem tells us. This is a very, very interesting Pasuk, because it's the eighth and final day of the inauguration. Seven days Moshe's been going in and out and doing a dry run. Eighth day, Moshe, uh, sorry, Aaron, makes his first appearance as the Kohen Gadol, and after being hesitant at first, he finally comes and he performs the appropriate avoda, the opening service and sacrifice, and he gives a bracha to Klai Yisrael. And yet, the Shechina, God's presence, doesn't come down until it's all done. And Rashi tells us, Aaron wasn't sure about his involvement, he, was, he expressed his disappointment to Moshe, and Moshe said, no worries, come forward. Says Ravolbe, Says Ravoba in the Shiri Chumash and Parsha Shmini. Says Ravoba, there's a very, very important lesson that we see from this Pasuk. A lesson that applies to every one of us in our daily lives. That B'nai Yisrael, the Jewish people, had spent many days and months. They've contributed, they have um, dedicated, they have devoted, they've donated, they gave the, the ingredients, the materials, they gave the resources, they gave their time, they gave their energy. And the construction of the Mishkan is now complete. And the Kohanim spend eight days inaugurating it. And yet, they were not successful bringing Hashem's presence down until one more thing had to happen. So they gave their donations. And they built the campus. And they started the Avoda. And Aaron gives a bracha to the people. And yet, 
the Shekhinah doesn't come down until one more thing happens. What still had to happen for the Shekhinah to come? Tefillah. They had to daven. Even when we toil greatly, says Revolba, even when we invest our effort in spiritual growth, our avoda is incomplete until we daven. You can have amazing faith, and you can sing beautiful zmiros, and you can learn all day long, and you can do, and you can try, and you can believe, but until you stop and talk to Hashem, until you open your heart to Him, until you ask Him, until you rely on Him, until you lean on Him, until we add prayer and davening, then Hashem's presence is not felt. The Gemara there relates that people asked Rabbi Yeshua and Hananiah, what is the proper way to acquire wisdom? And he answered, you have to devote much time to study Torah and limit the time to work. So they said, but I don't understand. Many tried this. Many tried. They learned long hours and they limited the amount of interaction with the world and yet they didn't break through. They didn't succeed. So he said, you know why? Because they forgot one component. They learned all those hours and they limited their interactions with this world. But they forgot to be mevakish. They forgot to ask from the one who has all the wisdom. You have to daven. You have to daven. You can study for the SATs from today till tomorrow, the MCATs, the LSATs, Lahavdil. You can sit and pour over a Tosos, a and Sivas. You can give all your heart. But if you don't ask Hashem for success, then you're going to hit a wall. The Gemara says the same thing. So the Gemara asks, if acquiring wisdom is dependent entirely on prayer, then why did Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananya originally answer that the wisdom is the result of intense, diligent study? So the Gemara says, one without the other is insufficient. If you sit back and you daven, Hashem, I want to wake up tomorrow morning, I want to be a huge Talmud Chacham. I want to wake up tomorrow morning knowing Shas. Hashem says, that's lovely. Did you open a Gemara? Have you spent any time? He's not going to do miracles. But if you open the Gemara and you pour over it, from morning till night, and you don't ask Hashem for help, you're also not going to be successful. The Nitziv Zatzal, Rav Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin, I mentioned this in the Siddur Snippets, we resumed the Siddur Snippets at post-Pesach, and we're learning the magnificent second bracha, Birchus Krishma, Avarabba. If you haven't joined yet, join for Avarabba. Such insights into our tefillah, Avarabba, Siddur Snippets. You can go back all the way to the beginning and start from Moda'ani, or you can join us in progress. We're 250 snippets in, and we're on Avaraba. So the Nitziv of Velazhin, the great Rosh Hashiva Velazhin, from the Torah Tzu Yehuda Berlin, said, any day in which he didn't say Avaraba, where he was moved to tears, he didn't succeed in learning that day. This is the great Nitziv, Rosh Hashiva of Velazhin. He poured his heart over the learning, but he said if his learning was not accompanied with davening, he did not succeed in that learning. Chaim Brisker was asked, how come in Velazhin there was no Musr Seder? He answered, there was. The Musr Seder was watching the way the Nitziv said Avarabah every morning. That was our Musr Seder. So the Nitziv understood. Nitziv didn't have a Sefer open instead of Avarabah. He was learning from the Sefer. He understood that when you're saying Avarabah, Shema, Shemona Esri Amida, close the Sefer and pour your heart into your prayer and ask Hashem for help. You need both. You need both. You need the effort and the initiative, and you need the prayer that accompanies it. So that's this Pasuk, says Ravoba. Moshe and Aaron, the people had donated the ingredients, the materials, the vessels. They had built. The campus was complete. The inauguration was celebrated and marked. First Avoda was done. The blessing was given to the people. And yet, still no Hashirah Sashchina. Because God doesn't come and dwell until we daven. Until we daven. We have to daven. 
for Hashem to be successful. And he quotes Yaros Dvash. In, Rabbi ya- in Yaros Dvash, the Hilliger Rabbi Yonis and Aibshitz writes, he was a genius, Rabbi Yonis and Aibshitz. But he said the days that he davened with Kavana, he was more successful in his learning. If he didn't daven with Kavana that day, he struggled in his learning. He struggled in his learning. Whatever we're doing, going to work, going to work out, going to the supermarket, raising our children, going to the doctor, collecting the lab report, or sitting down to daven to learn. Sometimes we need to daven for success in davening. Ask Hashem that the davening should flow and that we don't find it to be difficult and that it should come easily and that we find the words and that we're able to concentrate. It all goes together. Perak Yud, Pasuk Yud, uh, sorry, Perak Yud, Pasuk Aleph. Turn the page, page 592 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. We now turn to the tragic, tragic episode. The death of Nadav Va'aviyu. Ve'yichu b'nei'aru Nadav Va'aviyu ish machtaso v'yidnu b'hain ish v'yasimu ala kitores v'yakrivu l'fnei Hashem ish zara asher lo tziva osam. The sons of Nadav and Aviyu, uh, sons of Aaron, Nadav and Aviyu, they each took their fire pan, they put a fire, they placed incense in it and they brought it before Hashem, this foreign fire. What does it mean that it's a foreign fire in Asia Zara? What does it mean that it's foreign? It means Asher Lot Siva Osam. They weren't commanded. They weren't told and they weren't instructed to do it. Asher Lo Siva Osam. What did they do wrong? Where did they go wrong? What did they do wrong? There are no shortage of opinions, no shortage of suggestions that are offered where they went wrong. But I want to tell you what the the great the Gera Rebbe, the Chidush Arim says. Chidush Arim says, Ikar kiyam ha-mitzvah, he The core of fulfilling a mitzvah is the very fact that we are commanded. Mishum kach anu omen bracha. And this is what we say every bracha. Before every mitzvah we do, we recite a bracha. Asher kiddushonu b'mitzvosav v'tzivanu. Shekein v'tzivanu zeu ikar ha-ikarim. The very fact that we are commanded is the ikar ikarim. The core and the greatest thing is that we were charged and we were asked and we were commanded to do it. Nadav and Aviyu are punished severely. Why? They brought a foreign fire. You know where they went wrong, Nadav and Aviyu? They had very noble intent. Their heart was in the right place. There are people who practice religious creativity, ingenuity, entrepreneurship, they try to introduce new practices and rituals. They try to change the ones we have. And maybe they're nobly motivated. Maybe their intent is in the right place. However, Asher Lotziva Osam. We learn from the Egel. And we learn from Nadav and Aviyu. And we need to continue to learn out of Yom Hazen till today. That, while there's room for individuality, on the other hand, God is the master. And he is the one who has given us the blueprint and the manual, the instruction book. We cannot do things we're not commanded. We cannot do things we cannot commanded. So therefore, what is the most elevating part of a mitzvah is not just the particulars of the mitzvah, but is the fact that we say the words You've sanctified us how? You gave us, you gave us the instruction. So the, the Ger Rebbe says, Adam Pashat, you take a simple Jew who doesn't begin to understand the Pneumius mitzvah, doesn't even understand the depth and the profundity and the deeper meaning and the mindfulness of the mitzvah. 
If we pause before doing the mitzvah and simply concentrate on the fact that God, you commanded me. What I'm about to do is fulfilling your wish, your will for me. Vitzi vanu. Vitzi vanu. I'm doing something you want. I'm doing something that matters and means something to you. The vitzi vanu. Says the Chidush Yarim, that's where then we, they went wrong. We cannot simply introduce and create on our own. But rather, we have to respond. We have to respond to what HaKadosh Baruch Hu asks of, asks of us. That's where they went wrong. There are all kinds of other suggestions, many long suggestions of what they did, of what they did wrong, but uh, we're not going to share for now. Yesterday I spoke, the OU every day, 1 o'clock. My friend, Naftali Herman, hosts a 1 o'clock Tehillim call every day. A rabbi gives a short Tvar Torah, followed by the recitation of Tehillim. So I spoke yesterday and I spoke about the fact that here we have the story of Nadav and Avihu in the first half. And with all the suggestions that are offered, Nadav and Avihu never got married, never had children. Maybe that was their mistake. They entered into the sanctuary drunk. That was their mistake. They, um, they uh, brought this foreign fire that wasn't commanded of them. That was their mistake. There are no shortage of suggestions, but in the end of the day, it's a chok. In the end of the day, it's a mystery. In the end of the day, we don't understand. And maybe that's the connection between the first half of the parsha and the second half. The second half of the parsha is going to be the laws of kashus, the laws of eating, of food. How do you connect them? So the Svarno connects them and says, both of them are holiness. Nadav and Aviyu defiled the Mishkan. Kashrus is how we connect to Hashem. Both of them are about Shechina. One finds Hashem in the Mishkan, one finds Hashem in the food we eat, and therefore we have to be careful and vigilant in both. That's the Svarno. But a high school Rebbe of mine, Rabbi Asher Bush, suggests maybe the common theme, the common thread is, just like the second half of the Parsha is a Chok, is the laws of Kashrus. Rashi says is a Chok. We have Chukim, we have incomprehensible, we have things we can't understand in law, and we have things we can't understand in life. First half of the Parsha is something we can't understand, a mystery in life. Second half of the Parsha is something we can't understand in law. What binds them together is what comes in between. But I don't want to spoil it, so go find it and listen to it online from the OU call yesterday. In between the two halves of the Parsha, we find two words in the middle of Parsha Shmini, and I think that is the answer of the theme, of the thread that binds the two themes, not just that there's a chok in life and a chok in law. What do we do? Do we become apathetic and complacent? Do we ignore and move on? No. There's something nevertheless for us to do. Listen to that call and you will and you will find what I suggest it is. Mo- moving along to Yayin Veshechar. So we have the tragic story. Aaron loses his sons. Vayidum, how does he respond with silence? We've spoken about this many times. You could find online if you listen to previous shiurim. We don't know the nature of Aaron's silent. Is he silent in protest? Is he silent in surrender? Is he silent in speechlessness? Why is Aaron silent? We'll never know. But it appears it's not really silence. Sheket is quiet. Vayidom is something so much more. We've quoted the, Kloz, the Kloisenberger Rebbe that we can learn. You know what the Vayidom Aaron is? The connection between and Vayidom Aaron. That through not a passive silence, but through sometimes sp- silence speaks volumes. Sometimes silence is louder than anything that we say. The, the Holocaust survivors among us this week of Yom HaShoah, the survivors who maintain their amuna, their bitachon, their faith, the survivors who put one foot in front of another and rebuilt and moved on, their silence about their suffering speaks volumes, inspires and motivates us. Vayidom Aaron 
It wasn't just a passive silence, an absence of speech. It was actually speaking volumes, but through a silence. And said the Klesenberger Rebbe, who lost his wife and I believe 11 children, the Klesenberger Rebbe said, that's B'damai Chayi. B'damai Chayi is the with the Vayidom of Aaron. B'damai Chayi, with the Vayidom of Aaron. Chayi, that's how we live. That's how we move on. That's how we move on. By not allowing our suffering, by not allowing the tragedies to derail us. Do we have questions? Absolutely. Are we in pain? 100%. But we put one foot in front of the other, with the Vayidom of Aram. It's not a coincidence that the very next passage, the very next section, top of page 594, you're not allowed to drink wine, you or your sons, when you come into the Omoed. Death penalty. Death penalty. You come drunk, intoxicated, inebriated into the sanctuary, you are put to death, capital crime, death penalty. Wow. Seems kind of harsh. Seems sort of severe. Death penalty for coming in drunk. So first of all, now you understand why some commentators deduce that this was the mistaken sin of Nadav and Avil. Why is the very next section that you're not allowed to enter drunk? Because it's revealing and telling us what they did wrong. They must have come in <coughs> after a few l'chaims. That's where they went wrong. And from there we know it's a capital crime and you're put to death. Isn't that severe? Isn't that enormously severe? So I want to tell you an insight of Rav Simcha Bonim This insight is so important for our time. This insight, this pasuk, I think, is the source of Alcoholics Anonymous. What do I mean by that? This is the source of AA, NA, GA, SA, all the anonymous, the 12-step program, the wonderful 12-step program. What do I mean this is the source? So the Medrash says the following. But Medrash Rabbah, Parsha Yud Beis, it says the following. Yayin v'sheichar al-teisht. Hodahu d'chsev, pikudei Hashem yeshorem, mesamchei lev. A very cryptic Medrash. The Medrash cryptically says, wine and intoxicating beverages don't drink. And that's what the Pasuk means in Tehillim. Yudtes, pikudei Hashem yesharim. The laws of God are straight. Mesamchei They gladden the heart. This is the source of the Pasuk. This Pasuk is the source of the fact that an Avel is not allowed to learn Torah. Someone who's grieving who's mourning cannot learn Torah, only the sections that relate to the mourner. Why? Because the mourner... The one in, gr- in grief is supposed to be concentrating on their mourning. But pikudei Hashem Yesharim, misam chelev. That's why in Tisha B'av we can't learn Torah. When we're supposed to feel down, when we're supposed to be somber, when we're supposed to be sad, learning Torah is incongruous. Learning Torah is misam chelev. It gladdens, it gives us joy, it gives us happiness. So what in the world is the Medrash saying? Wonders of Simcha Bonu What? When the Kohen enters, he's not allowed to be drunk. That's what the Pasuk means. Torah gladdens the heart. What does one thing have to do with the other? So listen to what Rav Simcha Bunim Pshischa says. He says, you want to feel relief? Do you want to feel joy? Do you want to get high? Misam chilev, pekudei Hashem. If you submit to a higher power, if you know that you're not in charge and you're not in control, if you live with faith and awareness that there's a God and that He loves you and that He gives you the strength if you submit to a higher power, 
then you won't need to get intoxicated or drunk on anything else. You won't need to turn to any substance or behavior to get high on it when you can get high on God. At the core of addiction and at the core of substance abuse is the effort and desire to numb oneself to a pain. There's a hole in one's heart. There's a vacuum. There's a pain. What the source of it is different for everybody. Feeling you don't belong, feeling unloved, feeling unworthy. Whatever the reason is, feeling stress, anxiety, pressure, they're all kinds of very legitimate reasons people feel in extreme pain. And usually at the core of addiction is an effort to escape and to numb from that pain, to get high on something which is fleeting, counterfeit, inauthentic, in which you just need to get high or escape again. And in the 12-step program, of which I am no expert at all, but I've learned so much and believe in, in the 12-step program, I refer you to my friend Rav Menachem Pesnansky's wonderful book on Torah and the 12-step program, and of course all the great work of the late Rabbi Dr. Tversky, Zechatzalik Levracha. But in the 12-step program, one of the core steps is submitting to a higher power. And it's not a coincidence that the success of a program of recovery includes accepting a higher power and submitting to Him. And that's what Rav Simcha Bunim is saying. What does the Medrash mean? Yayin v'sheichar al-teisht. You're not allowed to become drunk. Ah, that's the Pasuk that Hashem's Torah is mesam chelev. What does one thing have to do with the other? The answer is, if you tapped into, if you turn to, if you rely on the higher power, then you don't need to rely on Yayin v'sheichar. If you're not addicted and you can consume in moderation, there's nothing wrong. The glass of wine, we just drank four of them, two nights in a row. There's nothing wrong with a glass of wine in moderation, if you can do so safely. But to get drunk, to get intoxicated, to escape, to live that way, that is a failure of submitting to a higher power. The individual who lives with the Pekude Hashem, if you live with the lessons, the messages, if you live with the presence of Hashem and the Mesam Chelev, the joy it brings, if you successfully submit to and welcome the higher power, then you don't need the escape of the Yayin V'Sheichar Al-Tesht. You don't need that in order to survive and in order to live. I think it's such a powerful and such an important message. It's an important message for us to tell the people around us and the Kiddush clubs and the a community or segments of the community that celebrate things not in moderation. It's one thing to enjoy. Kodesh Baruch Hu gave us, and He said enjoy. He created it in moderation, safely. But to use it as an escape or to numb, it is counterfeit. It's counterfeit. We're living in a very high-pressured world. The stress is enormous. There are a lot of reasons to want to get high. There are a lot of reasons to want to escape. But we have the opportunity and ability to do it within our own religion. Pasuk says in Tehillim, the Ramchal quotes in Mesil Shasharim, we have the ability lehisaneg al Hashem. We can lehisaneg, we can get high al Hashem. You can get high on God. Submit to the higher power. All of this is, it feels like it's a new lesson or a new teaching since the 12 steps of the program, but it's ancient. It goes back to Nadav and Aviyu themselves. It goes back to the Torah itself. Yain v'sheichar al Samusu, because it's a, it's a capital crime. If you get drunk as a way of escape, by the way, what's even more egregious here? What do Nadav and Aviyu do wrong? Why does this puzzle come afterwards? The more egregious thing is, if you think that you're getting drunk as a religious activity, 
if you think, I'm not talking about Purim, but if you think that getting drunk every Friday night, every Thursday night, every Shabbos morning, if a person thinks that getting wasted and drunk and they miss the meal with their family and they say things they're embarrassed about later, if you think that getting drunk is even religiously motivated or has a religious merit or value, lo samusu, that is the death of you. That's a capital violation. But rather, pekude Hashem yesharam mesam chilev, don't get high on substances, get high on God instead. Okay, now we move over to the laws of Kashrus. Parsha, as I said, has We have all the detailed laws of Kashrus. Birds, fowl, animals, fish, and so on. Here, Perik Aleph, Pasuk, Tess. Pasuk Yud, Tess. Go to page 600. Page 600. When it comes to fish, they need fins and scales. When it comes to animals, split hooves and chew its cud. When it comes to birds, which birds are kosher? We're not given simanim, we don't have signs, but we're given species. We're given species. That's why there's some halachic controversy surrounding Turkey. Mori Varabir of Shechter doesn't eat Turkey. There's no Mesora. Turkey was a new world bird discovered in America. No Mesora. And therefore, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, Mori Varabir of Shechter, and many others don't eat Turkey because there is no Mesora for it. Uh, birds, when it comes to birds, we're not given signs, but rather we are told species. One of the species, Pasuk says, the chasida, the anafa, according to its kind, the duchifas, and the atalef. These are all species of non kosher forbidden fowl, non kosher forbidden birds. The chasida. Chasida is a stork, Rashi tells us. The stork is not a kosher bird. Others disagree with Rashi and say it's a different form of a bird. But why is it called a chasida? So Rashi tells us it's called a chasida. She'osa chasidus em bemezonos. Because most, most animals, when they get food, they keep it for themselves. The chasida, when she gets food, shares it with her friends. In the Shavas HaGadol Drosha, we spoke about community. You can find it online here on our YouTube channel. And I'll give a shameless plug for a moment to subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you have not, then go down and press subscribe and you'll be notified every time we go live and we can learn together. So in our Shabbos HaGadol Drosha, we talked about the slave keeps all the food for themselves. We talked about from Primo Levi and others that in the Holocaust and Klaistra, when they left Egypt, when you're willing to share what you have with others, it's an expression and reflection of truly being free. When you are unwilling to share, what you have owns you. When you're willing to share, you own it. That's why at the Seder we begin, Kol anyone who's hungry, come and eat. We're showing our willingness to share. So the Chasida has the very flattering name, whose root is Chesed, because she's willing to share, which begs the question from the Chidusha Harim. I don't understand. If the Chasida is willing to share, why is she not kosher? The Ramban, Nachmanides, tells us that the, the birds that are not kosher all have a common trait. Midas Achzarius. They're cruel. They're predatory birds. They're birds of prey. So how does that shtim, wonders the Ger Rebbe, the Chidusha Arim, if this bird is not kosher? because it's predatory, and it practices midas achzarius, cruelty, how does that shtim, how does that fit with the fact that it's called a chasida, because it does chesed? Gewaldike question. A great question from the Chidush Arim. So you know what the Chidush Arim answers? Yeah, the bird does chesed. But look again at Rashi. With whom does she do chesed? 
with her friends. She doesn't do chesed with anyone who's not in her inner circle, who's not her friend. That's cruel. That's cruel. The truly kind person doesn't only do chesed with the people they know and like. They're willing to do chesed with anyone who needs. If you only do chesed with people you know and like, with your friends in your inner circle, are you really doing chesed? Or are you really serving yourself? It's when you're willing to do chesed outside your circle. When you're willing to do chesed with a stranger, that is genuine and true chesed. And therefore, on the one hand, the chasidah is called chasidah because of the chesed she does with friends. On the other hand, she remains unkosher. Why? Because there's a cruelty in only doing chesed with friends and not a willingness to do chesed with others as well. With others as well. Oy, so many further ideas that I wanted to share with you. Skip to Perik Yedal, Pasuk Mem Hey. Turn the page. Page 604. Six, oh, sorry, 606. We're going right to the end of the parsha. Fast forward. After telling us the laws of Kashrus, the intricate detailed laws of Kashrus, the Torah tells us, and why should you observe it? And why should you keep it? Because I am Hashem, Hamales Chameret Mitzrayim, who takes you out of Egypt. I am God who elevates you from Egypt. And you should be holy, because I am holy. So Rav Druk wonders a few questions on this Pasuk. First of all, notice that it's in the present. God who takes you out. Not who took you out of Egypt, but who continues to take you out of Egypt. Number one. Number two. I thought we were doing a piece here in Rav Druk on this. Yeah. Number two, you'll notice. Where did I see this? Sorry, not here. In Revolba, not in Rav Druk. In Revolba. Normally, when we talk about Hashem and Egypt, we describe, <coughs> excuse me, we describe, it's not Corona, I'm vaccinated. We describe, think about in Aseris Adibros, how we're introduced to Hashem. Ani Hashem lokechem ha motzieschem, who took us out. Note what it says here, it says Revolba. Not ha motzi, who took us out, but ha ma'ale, who elevates us out of Egypt. There's a difference. And Asaras Adibros, it's the God who took us out of Egypt. Here in the laws of Kashrus, it's the God who elevates us out of the land of Egypt. And says uh, Revolba, because when we came out of Mitzrayim, we came out in stages. Hamotzi Eschem talks about our physical freedom and emancipation. Hamale Eschem is that he took us out in order to be holy. And how are we holy? One of the ways we're holy is in the way that we eat. Are we gluttonous? Are we discerning? Are we capable of being disciplined? Do we have diet? How do we eat? How we eat is how we achieve. So, Egypt is a place of decadence and gluttony. How do we achieve holiness? How is God is elevating us above Egypt and He's having us become holy. How? Through being disciplined and dignified in our eating and in the laws of Kashus. And this is what Rav Druk says too in the word, in the word, V'hizkadishtam. V'hizkadishtam. Look at Rashi. Just like I am holy because I am Lord your God, so too you should be holy down below. The Gemara Psachim says, 
Even if you do the right thing for the wrong reason, you'll come to do it for the right reason. And the Gemara Sota learns this from Balak, that the merit of the 42 Karbanos that Balak, the king of Moab, Moab brought, he merited to have Rus descend from him. See that these sacrifices were done with the wrong intent. Balak hated the Jews. Balak rebelled against God. He did the right thing for the wrong reason. That too brings merit. Says Rav Druk, that's the meaning of this Pasuk. V'his kadishtam. Act and practice with holiness. It means externally, outwardly. Act holy. Fake it till you make it. Act like you're holy. Act like you're holy. Walk like you're holy. Demand of yourself like you're holy. And you will be holy. And that's what Rashi says. Kitshu atzmechem lamata. Meaning, be holy down below doesn't just mean God is holy up above and we're holy down below. It means be holy in the lowest level that you can be holy. What's the lowest level that you can be holy? When you're holy only externally. When you're holy in, a, in faking it till you make it. Be holy in a way that you're faking till you make it, and then you'll be holy for real. V'yisem kedoshem, a beautiful, beautiful insight. We'll conclude, Rabbi Salavechik, and the Rav Chumash points out, he says, it's interesting to note, there's only one Pasuk in the entire Torah that mentions prayer. Only one Pasuk in the whole Torah that mentions tefillah. But there are many chapters that deal with dietary laws. Why? Says the Rav. Because it's easier for man to pray than to withdraw from the food that he desires. Man is ready to serve Hashem spiritually, but resents any interference with eating habits or with the manner in which he gratifies physical or carnal needs. You want me to stop by Shul once in a while and daven? Davening I can do. But don't tell me I can't eat at the buffet, at the, at the country club. Don't tell me I can't eat out the things that I want to eat. Don't tell me that that heksher is no good. Don't tell me that I can't eat the dairy after the meat. Don't tell me what to do when it comes to my physical or carnal needs. Modern man writes the Rav is willing to worship God and participate in cultic performance and ceremony. Modern man does not object to singing hymns or visiting the sanctuary. Never complains about the cost of cultic performance. At the same time, he resents being told that there are laws which guide him concerning behavior not of the spirit, but of the body. Torah is of the opinion, however, that it's impossible to hallow and inspire the spirit without disciplining the body. So therefore, we have to have so many more psukim when it comes to kashras than when it comes to prayer because we are so much more resistant when it comes to kashras, when it comes to being told about regulating and being disciplined over our body. Thank you again to our sponsors for the day. Again, if you want to sponsor a future class, lee at brsonline.org and subscribe and you'll be notified in real time. Join us tomorrow morning as we learn Mesilas Hasharim 8.15 a.m. here on our YouTube channel. We continue 8.45 tomorrow morning with Living with Emuna, And tomorrow night is Yom HaShoah. We're going behind the bima with Mrs. Ruth Lichtenstein, who is the editor-in-chief of Hamodia, great-granddaughter of the Ger Rebbe. Her father, actually, the Chidush Arim, who we quoted today, her father is the one who compiled Chidush Arim ala Torah that we've been quoting from. She's the great-granddaughter of the Ger Rebbe, and she's the founder of Project Witness, um, which, of course, keeps alive the memory of the Holocaust. You don't want to miss that special edition of Behind the Beam tomorrow night at 9 o'clock. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.